Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, as we come to your word today, we ask that you would reveal to us your truth and that your truth would set us free. As we look again at one of these very countercultural, non-intuitive words of Jesus to us, we need help to break through so that we might be captured with a holy imagination of living life in view of your kingdom versus the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms even we foster and build in our own hearts. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would do your divine spiritual heart surgery on us so that we might be healed and we might be made whole, not simply so that we are blessed, but so that we might be a blessing in this world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up, I wouldn't say that our family was poor. We had things. We had everything that we needed. But because we didn't do a lot during the year, like we very rarely ever went out to eat. Or, you know, if we went to Walmart, we didn't get a toy every time we went there. And so Christmases would sort of be a big deal at our house. My dad would always make sure that we had one good present. But one thing he would do every year is he, and Cassie can bear witness to this now, he'll still say, now guys, the money's been tight this year. And so it's not going to be that good of a Christmas. And I just want y'all to know, all right, so that you set your expectations. And he's doing this in a way, right, to kind of just mess with us a little bit, but also because he is a little afraid that maybe we'll be disappointed. And so he's wanting to make sure nobody's expecting it to be as good as it may have been a year before. And so it's like, prepare you to not be disappointed, but it's really not going to be that bad. And I think that that's maybe the way we hear Jesus when he talks about persecution, particularly as 21st century Americans, right? Yeah, I know Jesus said it's going to be hard, but it's not going to be that bad. I mean, we just look around us. In our culture, in our society, it's really hard for us even to, to talk about persecution. I mean, we're here gathering this morning. We're not worried if somebody's going to burst in and surround us with AK-47s and round us up because we proclaim that Jesus alone is Lord. We know that Jesus said that things are going to be hard. But maybe many of us think that really, he's not serious. Maybe some of us are still holding on to an expectation and maybe even entitlement that life is supposed to be easy and every day with Jesus is just going to be sweeter than the day before. Jesus tries to remind us of this a lot. If you look throughout the Gospels, if you look throughout the New Testament, and even if you read the story of God's people through the Old Testament, we see they lived hard lives. They faced great opposition. They faced great persecution of a dramatic sort and of a daily sort. But I think we have a hard time coming maybe to peace with this reality that following Jesus, following the way of the kingdom of God, is not an easy path. Pray God bless America. 
we're not thinking blessed are the persecuted. And we're going to talk here in a minute like we shouldn't be persecution seekers. All right, we're going to talk about that. But in line with what Amy's pointing out here, right, is we certainly think we go to God, we come to Jesus with our hardships, with our persecutions, and we think, relieve this. And he says instead, blessed are the persecuted. We really could go through all the Beatitudes. We come with him with our, our poorness of spirit, and we think he's going to now make us feel super confident. And he says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. We come to him with our hardships and our hurts, and we think that his comfort is going to relieve our need of mourning. And he says, blessed are the mourning. And we, we won't go through the whole list right now, but this can be jarring. And in Jesus' day, his people knew persecution. Right? We've made this connection each week. They are facing the Roman Empire. We have the authority to crucify people. His disciples will know this persecution. As we know, he will know this persecution. It wasn't hypothetical. Like it may feel and may actually be for many of us. It was real. It was the long road that they had to hoe to be Jesus' people. But it was a walk that was to be taken in hope. Because Jesus is telling us here that the kingdoms of this world are not ultimate, but he is the king. And the kingdom of heaven will have the final word. Yet it's really hard for us to believe that when we're in the middle of persecution or maybe just pain or pressures in our life. But we're being called here to believe that the experience of persecution, however we may need to define that so it's applicable in our lives here this morning, the experience of persecution for the kingdom of Christ is evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God, not the absence. Let me say that again. We must believe that the experience of persecution, pressure, pain, hardship, when it is coming because of your following of Jesus, it is the evidence of the presence of the kingdom, not the absence. How do we believe that? How do we get there? The first thing is we've got to expose a little more our problem with persecution. And we have to admit that honestly most of us have no use for it. I know I don't. Right? We just, we don't. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We might have what we call first world problems with persecution. Right? So we all joke about first world problems. Right? There was this kind of funny and yet sad, you could look it up online, of where these people in third world countries are reading off first world problems, right? And it has these people in these horrible circumstances saying, reading, I, I can't stand it when I leave my charger downstairs for my cell phone and I have to go get it at night. <laughs> I can't stand it when my vacation condo was double booked and I have to reschedule when we're going to the beach. And we could go on and on, right? This, these are the hardships, right? And not to belittle any real hardships we have, but we know this is where a lot of us live. This is just the reality. A sacrifice for us is, man, 10 to 15 minutes of reading my Bible and praying. Whoo! I mean, not trying to heap guilt here. Let's just be real, right? Man, I just don't know Jesus if I got that kind of time in my schedule. Versus people in third world countries who are having to, to sneak in pages of the Bible, right, and share them. And they're sitting in dark rooms maybe right now, really afraid somebody's going to bust in. 
persecution is our kids hearing a curse word from, from some other kids in an area maybe we're trying to reach. Versus countries where, you know, you can only have a, a certain limit of kids and they're forced into a truly communistic school system. Stress is what? We have too many activities. We're just so busy with all these activities. Versus other places in the world where people really totally risk their lives to be with their fellow believers. It is a genuine risk. Again, I don't say that to heap guilt upon us. It's just, it's just how it is. And I'm right there in the middle of all that. Trust me. We have to ask ourselves, is our problem with persecution, our problem with pain, our problem with hardship and sacrifice when it comes to following Jesus, could this be one reason why, not, not just speaking, not talking about our church in particular, but in general, the American church is so dead and so ineffective, even though there's mega churches on every corner. And revival's happening all the time. The revival of what? Mega church of what? I mean, you would think if a thousand people came to know Jesus in a city, right, things are going to change. Churches grow, baptism happens, and yet we just adopt a way of Jesus that costs us nothing when he's defined that as the very nature of what it means to follow him. Contrast this with the, the underground church of China and its history. One writer, Alan Hirsch, says, The explicit aim of the cultural revolution was to obliter obliterate Christianity from China. So there was this period in the history of China where they just removed all the missionaries, all Christian presence. We're just getting rid of it. And we will persecute anyone who seeks to follow Jesus or to, or to share his claims, to share his gospel. And so we're just removing it from the country through government force. And they did. The end of the reign of Mao, though, and his system in the late 70s, there was this lifting of what was called the bamboo curtain in the 80s. And foreign missionaries and church officials were allowed back into the country, albeit under strict supervision. And what they found there was shocking to them. They expected to find the church was going to be decimated. Or that any disciples that were left were going to be this weak and battered people. Because how in the world could they get along without, you know, the foreign missionaries? On the contrary, they discovered that Christianity had flourished beyond all imaginations. The estimates were about that there were about 60 million Christians in China and counting. And it's grown significantly since then, he said. He said, David Aikman, former Beijing bureau chief for Time magazine, suggests in his book, Jesus in Beijing, that Christians may number as many as 80 million. If anything, the Chinese phenomenon we are witnessing is the most trans significant transformational Christian movement in the history of the church. And remember, not unlike the early church, they had very few Bibles. At times, they, on, they shared only one page to a house church and then would swap that with another house church group. They had no professional leadership. 
No official leadership structures maybe whatsoever. No central organization. No mass meetings. And yet they grew like crazy. How? Not because those were bad things. They would have loved to be able to met. They would have loved to have had leadership. But because following Jesus meant something. They encountered the real Jesus and therefore became the real church. Ease and comfort may be more deadly to the church than persecution. So we need to at least prepare ourselves if we're not there. Expose our problem with persecution and replace it with expectation. As a sober reality, Chris, click to the next one. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Oh, this is hard for us to accept. As Sierra pointed out, those especially who want to be liked, who want to be approved of. If the world hates you, know it has hated me before you. Who's the most kindest, meekest, most balanced person in the history of the world? Jesus. Right? He's balanced. He's not too far on this side of the spectrum or too far on this side. He, he, he balances perfectly. Because I mean, I'm saying this because some of us think, oh, if I'm just winsome enough in my culture, then everyone will love me. Well, then you're not like Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They kept my word, they will also keep yours. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters, those who are fake, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus said, follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If we seek Jesus' kingdom above all other kingdoms in this world, it is not going to be easy. These other kingdoms are going to fight. The world, the, everything in our culture that sets itself up against the way of Jesus is going to press against you. It's not just going to let you follow Jesus. Your own flesh, your sinful nature is going to scream and, and claw and grab for you not to follow Jesus. And the enemy that we sang about in that mighty fortress, though this world with devil's fields should threaten to undo us, there are spiritual forces at work to undo us. It's a battle. That's why Martin Luther, who wrote that hymn, said, one of the marks of a true church is persecution, is opposition. And yet some of us, some of you no doubt, including this guy standing right here, expect at some point it's going to get easy. You know, I just got to get over this hump in this life. It'll be smooth sailing. But real loyalty to Jesus, as one author says, creates frictions in the hearts of those who only pay him lip service. 
And it starts with us. With others. If you think, man, if I just go all in on following Jesus, everybody's going to love me. Nope. First off, you're not going to love you for that. People who you might think will love you might get irritated at you. Some of you know this. This is a beautiful thing about our church is many people that are here have made significant sacrifice to be a part of this church. You've stepped away from other comfortable situations. And some of you have been slandered for that. You sought to be peacemakers and to love and join in God's mission and instead you were misunderstood and were maligned. And certainly we're all imperfect, but as I look around this room, I'm just thankful. Thankful for that. Well, nobody had a gun to your head. But you chose a path of more pain to follow the Spirit. There's stories in this room that I don't know of, and I just want to encourage you. Well, let's just not point out where, we're, where we fall on this. But you're, you're still following Jesus. That's pretty awesome. If you're like me, there's been a lot of days when you just thought, I just don't know if it's worth it. I'd just rather numb myself like the rest of the world with entertainment and possessions and whatever. And God, by His Spirit, has you at least still crawling along the way. Let's praise God for that. But let's realize we're probably, we're probably going to keep crawling the rest of the way. There'll be seasons in our life where we stand up and run, and then there'll be seasons in our life again where the two-by-four comes out of nowhere and smacks you in the forehead. One author I read said of an earlier time in American history that they didn't expect life to get easier. They knew we're going to work our whole lives. It's going to be hard. But that's life. And God is enough. And we can have hope in these things. We can have hope even if real persecution comes because persecution reveals the real church. Persecution reveals the sheep from the goats. It reveals the cowards from the committed. A culture of persecution forces honest gospel presentations where a decision to follow Jesus entails discipleship because there's so much on the line. Like it was in the book of Acts. Those 3,000 who were saved weren't just going along with a, a nice environment. No, they were realizing if we cross this line of following Jesus, we may very well find ourselves hanging on a cross. One writer says, we don't live in Mayberry anymore in the United States as we continue to, to see our culture is no longer just affirming the Christian environment. He says, good, Mayberry leads us to hell just as surely as Gomorrah did. But Christianity didn't come from Mayberry in the first place, but from a Roman Empire hostile to the core of the idea of a crucified and resurrected Messiah. We've been on the wrong side of history since Rome. And it was enough to turn the world upside down. The future of Christianity is bright. 
I don't get that from surveys and polls, he writes, but from a, but from a word someone spoke one day back in Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell haven't gotten any stronger. And the light that drives out the darkness is enough to counter every rival gospel. So let's expect persecution with sober reality, but let's expect it with hope. How do we do this? We've got to embrace the path of the persecuted. So Jesus calls us to do this, and he calls us to it in this beatitude when he says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed, remember that word means flourishing, fortunate, fulfilled. We dare to believe that when the world, in verse 11 though, is going to revile us, persecute us, and utter all kinds of evil against us falsely. We tend to think those are signs that we've maybe fallen out of the blessing of God. Everybody's talking bad about me. People are lying about me. I'm just wanting to love them. I'm just wanting to advance God's kingdom. We're tempted to believe we're anything but in a flourishing state there. But Jesus tells us it is those who have the kingdom of heaven. We think of recently as the church in Texas was just sadly and brutally shot up one Sunday morning. But what was more surprising, and maybe not surprising, was to see that the way people began out of that to mock people who pray. One famous actor said, why are we, pr why are we praying? They were praying when it happened. A lot of good that did. But don't we see, Jesus is saying this is exactly what the people who pray should expect. That's not some sort of gotcha tweet, right? Oh, wow, that was really cool. No, Jesus was praying in the garden before he went to the cross. We don't view blessing as the absence of hard times. We view blessing as the presence of Jesus. Those hard times can reveal that like no other things can. But we don't just go seek this, right? So notice Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not blessed are those who are persecuted because I'm a jerk. Blessed are those who are persecuted because I'm out trying to pick a fight with everybody. Blessed are those who are persecuted but are the opposite of all the Beatitudes and the fruits of the Spirit. No. Tim Keller says, if everyone dislikes you, that might not be because of your faith. It might just be because of you. We shouldn't go looking for persecution. Really, we should not go looking for it. Blessed are the peacemakers. But if it comes for righteousness' sake, for following Jesus, then we don't need to be surprised. And we even need to consider ourselves blessed. What does it mean, righteousness' sake? The way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom. Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. If you're persecuted for following his way, for living out the, the standards, the commands, the morals, the ways that he's called us to live, and people mock you, revile you, and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on the sake of that, it's going to hurt. But Jesus says, blessed are you. Jesus says, I am the truth. 
If you dare to believe in the 21st century that we have the truth of God in His Word and that God has actually created you where you can understand this and God has actually given you a mind that you can believe it, receive it, and He's also said it can be taught with authority, then you are way out of step with the times. And people will utter all kinds of evil against you. If you dare to say in 21st century, the 21st century world, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Don't expect to be loved in all circles. But what is the response Jesus says? Go back, Chris. He says, verse 12, rejoice and be glad. We've got to do justice with that little word all the time, don't we? Rejoice. Lord, man, talk about a command in the Bible that's repeated. How do you rejoice when you're persecuted? We're not talking about some sort of fake, phony, sort of sadistic, wow, I love it when people put me in pain. No, we just... We just totally dump in all of our sort of ideas of happiness into that word rejoice. When the Bible's calling us to rejoice, it's calling us to this, this deeper level state of commitment and security, contentment and security. This really hurts. This really stinks. I wish I weren't being persecuted for this. We tell the truth, right? I am in pain. I am hurting. This is not good. But I know I'm in the will of God. I know I'm being held by the one who holds the world. And I'd rather be with him than with anyone else. It's like the saying goes, you know you're flying over the right target if you're getting shot at. Well, it'd be safer and easier to not be getting shot at and just live my life over here in denial or avoidance. I rejoice because I found the place I'm supposed to be. It's really those of us in here who shouldn't be rejoicing if, if your life of following Jesus never causes you any amount of pain or pressure or opposition. You need to be worried. Because these rewards come that bring us joy. Your reward is great in heaven. In 1 Peter, we're promised that we have a reward that is kept for us in heaven. We rejoice because they persecuted the prophets who are before you. What is Jesus saying? You're a part of this big story. This big story of the persecuted people of God. Our culture and media likes to talk about people being on the wrong side of history. Right, if you don't change your, your views on God's standards of sexuality, right, you're going to be found on the wrong side of history. If you don't change your views on how it is that one has a relationship with God, is only being through Christ, you're on the wrong side of history. What Jesus is saying here is actually those who are persecuted 
for righteousness sake, you're on the right side of history. The world doesn't determine that. God determines that. It brings us then into this state where we truly can consider ourselves blessed. Though we lose everything. Though everything is taken from us. At Christmas time, we watch the Grinch. Or some of you may. Some of you may be the Grinch when it comes to Christmas. But we think, what does the Grinch basically do? He sees all the little Who's down in Whoville having their horrific time. You like that horrific, didn't you? And he hates it. I don't like all that love, joy, peace that they have. It just makes him sick. And so he decides he's going to persecute them, right? He's going to take everything away from them. He's going to ruin their Christmas because he says all that is is fake. All that is is phony. Right? Can we imagine? This is the enemies of God against us, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Look at those Christians. Sure. I mean, they said in these, this, look at these, this nice room, right? And all this stuff, right? We just spent all this money on, right? And our clothes, we're all, none of us in here are thinking, where am I? Will we eat lunch today, right? If I take all that away, then they'll just give up and quit and curse God. Well, the Grinch thinks that about the Who's, right? I take all their stuff, and I'll ruin Christmas. And then the big surprise, right, the big climax of the movie is, is he steals it all, and he looks down there, and then they come out, and they're all joining hands in a circle, and they're singing their Who song. I don't know if it has a name. Ave Doris or something. I don't even know what that means. But it, it, it overwhelms. Grinch doesn't know what to do with that, does he? I took away all their shiny stuff. I took away all the flash of Christmas. I took away all the presents. I took away all the food. I took away all the fun. And yet here they are, just singing together. And that day, the Grinch's heart grew three times. Because he saw that it was real. And the Who's experienced something that was real. That was better. Something that we see in the book of Acts, where after the apostles, the disciples were beat, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. This is what Jesus is saying. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, they're revealed to have the kingdom of heaven within them. These are the churches, these are the Christians of the world who have no sound systems, who have no nice buildings, who have no flashy programs and fancy little graphic designs. But they've got Jesus. And they're getting to experience that that is real. That if we don't have anything else, He is enough. And we may not get to experience that in our life. I hope we don't, to be honest with you. I don't, hope, I don't want there to be some mass physical persecution of us. But we need to be prepared for it. And we need to realize that we get prepared for it in the daily deaths that following Jesus calls us to die to. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
those who own their total dependence on God, casting aside all entitlement and deserving and come to Him empty-handed. They will be persecuted because they make other people who are afraid of weakness very uncomfortable. You will be persecuted if you are poor in spirit because you will make people feel threatened who feel entitled and deserving and who don't want to be dependent on anyone. Blessed are those who mourn. You who take time to know yourselves, your story, your world, and all its brokenness and depths. You'll be persecuted because this world wants to live on the surface and wants to distract itself from going deeper. Blessed are the meek, those who have owned their poverty as spirit, mourned their sin and suffering, and have harnessed their strength for the sake of merciful living. You'll be persecuted because people will call you weak and seek to trample upon you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose ambitions have turned from building their own kingdoms to Christ's kingdom, and who now are living a life of a passionate pursuit of displaying and declaring Jesus. You'll be persecuted because now you're not only talking about what you're against all the time and how bad everything is in the world and the church, you're actually trying to build things and reform things and renew things. People don't like that. People will accept you complaining about how bad everything is. They don't like people who actually seek to bring change. Blessed are the merciful. They will be persecuted because this way of life gets really messy. It slows down progress. It isn't statistically verifiable. And such a way of life threatens the goals of success and the whole goals culture altogether we have in America. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who take off the mask and quit putting band-aids on the cancer of their souls. They'll be persecuted because they not merely want to modify behavior but get to the heart. People won't like you because you keep asking why. People won't like you because you won't play their games of keeping up appearances. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you seek to make peace and not just keep peace, you're going to be called a troublemaker. One who stirs things up. Blessed are the persecuted. Who take these things seriously. Who don't just say, wow, wasn't that a nice sermon series? But seek to live these things out in your life. And you find that all hell is going to come against you beginning in your own heart. The only way, the only way that we can even begin to seek to live this life is not by doing better and trying harder. It's not by saying, I'm going to do this. No, as we do that, we'll find ourselves more in need. We'll find ourselves crying out, I don't want to hurt. I want my kingdom. I want to follow Jesus and I want the easy button. So we're going to have to look to him. We can look to Christmas to start there. When Jesus was born, it wasn't in a nicely decorated area. It wasn't the willow tree manger scene that we have at our house. It probably wasn't a silent night, even though we can still sing that song. It was probably a messy, miserable night. Loud disruptive, a woman having a baby 
without medical oversight. And the child who was born already had a, a price out on his head. Herod was rounding up all the boys two years old and younger, have them killed. This is Christmas. And as he grew up, he wasn't more accepted. He was kind, he was gentle, but he was truth. He was hated. He was actually called a demon. He went to a cross. I want to talk about persecution. For us comfort-loving cowards, he didn't say, just, I'll show you how it's done. He said, I'll do it for you. He said, I love you. I want to set you free from your idols of comfort, control, and approval, and performance that have you. He was mocked. His back was filleted open with a cat of nine tails. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his forehead. He was nailed to a cross and then left to drown, suffocating in his own blood. And that was the easy part. Because for us on that cross, he then bore the full weight of the wrath of the holy creator God of the universe for us. And not because he had to, because he wanted to. Because this was the chosen plan of God to rescue us. To set us free. To redeem carefree cowards of convenience. And make us the sons and daughters of God. And then he rose from the grave in our place, defeating all the forces that would seek to persecute us in this world. Defeating sin. Defeating hell. Defeating Satan. And he gives us this victory now to walk in. And so we hear these words in 1 Peter. For to this you have been called. This whole book about God's people being his people in this hard world. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, we've heard that word today, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He believed this beatitude. He lived it perfectly for us. And if he doesn't, we're all crushed under these beatitudes. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. This is the security now that we're saved into so that we can now go out and live lives wholly committed to Jesus, risky lives, secured lives, where you're going to fail miserably. But you can keep getting back up because you know it's not ultimately about you and what you do, but about who He is and what He has done. And you keep going because you know that the kingdom of heaven is yours. Just imagine us as a church living like that. 
It's pretty exciting that we would be willing to live out all of these beatitudes is in such a way that challenges the very fabric of the culture that we live in. And they do. And if you've not felt that yet, just continue to read them, memorize them, and let them seep down into your soul. These beatitudes challenge everything. And if we live them, we will face opposition. But wouldn't it be great, though it would be hard, to actually be a church that's a threat? The church should be a threat to the world. Drug dealers in this city should be really upset and afraid that Matthew's Table Church is here if we live the way that we should live. The demons that occupy this area should be afraid that some people are actually going to follow Jesus. Crooked politicians should be afraid. Crooked business dealers. And our own souls, our own hearts, assaulting husbands, should be afraid. There's a missional community that is out to help women been taken advantage of and are now left alone and pregnant. And it will cost us if we take this seriously. We'll need to remember the kingdom of heaven is ours. There's a story that's told of an ambassador for our country that lived overseas and he lived in the same town as a missionary couple from our country as well. I don't know if this is true. You know, you can't believe stories preachers tell half the time. But we'll just assume it is. They both, after serving there many years, the ambassador living his life however he wanted according to the ways of the world, we might could say the opposite of the Beatitudes, involved in many illicit affairs, many dishonest dealings and deals, And this missionary couple who gave their whole life there saw very little fruit, but some disciples made and growing. As they come back home to New York City, I think it goes in the story, they arrive to the dock on their ship, and there is a band playing. There are streamers. There are ribbons to be cut. There are fans cheering. And it's all for this ambassador. He walks off the ship and he begins to walk up. Everybody's shaking his hand. Everybody's greeting him. Everybody's applauding him, his years of service. And the missionary couple gets off of the boat. They walk onto the dock. And no one is there to greet them. They've given their whole lives to following Jesus and making disciples, and nobody cares. You're going to feel like that someday, probably, just so you know. Why did we do it? The husband starts. Resentment, bitterness filling his heart. What was the point? Sure, a few disciples, but look at this guy. He did whatever he wanted. He actually enjoyed himself. He didn't experience any pain, any persecution, any discomfort. And he's the one everybody's celebrating. And we get home and nobody gives a rip. So the story goes, his wife leans over 
puts her arm on his shoulder and says, Honey, but we're not home yet. That's what Jesus is saying. This stuff's not easy to believe. If you're here and you think following Jesus is going to be easy and add on to your comfort of your life, you've got a rude awakening ahead of you if you stay on this journey long. But the good news is that we dare to believe that ours is the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you.